You are listening to a podcast from The National. Welcome, and I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief at The National. This is the Business Extra podcast from our newsroom in Abu Dhabi. It's our first episode, and we'll be coming to you weekly, providing insight and additional analysis on the biggest business, economic, and finance stories affecting us here, as well as the wider region and the world. Now, we've relaunched the newspaper, both in print and on digital platforms. It's been a very exciting period for us, for Abu Dhabi, and for the UAE's media scene. As part of the changes, we have some new faces and names, one of which is our business editor, Masood Darhali. I'm very happy to say he's with us. Welcome, Masood. How are you? I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, hopefully you'll be uh, with us um, more often. Uh, but to introduce you to our listeners, it's probably worth asking a little bit about your background. Now, I know you've had quite a varied background in the UAE and the region. Um, most recently, you've been involved in consulting. Is that right? Correct. How, how's yes. the switch been back uh, to journalism? Uh, very much welcome. Um, it's, uh, I think the world of journalism is not yet dead, as, as some may have uh, thought as a result of the, the digital age disruption. There's still a lot of stories to be told in different manners, different ways. And uh, I think uh, the landscape in the UAE is quite dynamic. It's evolving um, and uh, continues to be exciting. It's a very dynamic environment. There's been a lot happening over the last 12 to 18 months, particularly in the business and finance scene. We've seen the rise of e-commerce. We've seen uh, changes in regulations and reforms. Uh, The stock markets have been quite volatile in line with oil prices as well. And and there's been a lot of upheaval. It's a a good time to be covering business, I would think. It it is. There's a lot going on. Um, I mean, the UAE has changed a tremendous amount over the last decade and a half. There is a enabling environment that's very much supported by the leadership here. And the business community has come on board, which is very encouraging to see. Um, Entrepreneurship is no longer just a buzzword. Startups are no longer a handful. So it's very much uh, a continuously evolving landscape. And that's really uh, great to see. You've been you've been at a wire agency before. You've been at a publishing house. Uh, you covered aviation, I think, at one point. I mean, that's a really big yes. sector, very important. Uh, the growth of Emirates and Etihad, in particular, has been important for the UAE's economy. Uh, but there's been somewhat change, you know, of change in that industry as well. Do you see aviation continuing to be an important part of the uh, economic mix here? Uh, people will always have to travel. Traveling is not going to stop. Uh, there will be dips. And, uh, and, you know, upticks in terms of uh, seasons and uh, the frequency uh, of, of, of travelers. But I think it's, uh, it's very, very uh, definitive that Emirates and Etihad are, are, are here for the long term. And they've established a benchmark in terms of quality of service, in terms of the breadth of their network. And, you know, uh, they've also redefined the travel industry in many respects by you know their business model um, has has also disrupted the the travel uh, industry so they they've they've filled voids um, they're connecting the world and they're looking at different ways to continuously evolve and to continuously redefine their business proposition I mean, aviation has been one way in which the UAE has managed to grow into much more of a global citizen than it was in the last 10, 15 years. But in general, the region 
has seen a lot of changes lately. Um, everyone's hoping that there will be economic growth. Um, that's been a bit difficult, not just because of oil prices, because some of the geopolitics as well. You, you know, you've got a very good viewpoint of the region, uh, Masoud Darhali, uh, given your experience before as a journalist um, in business as well. Uh, so. Looking ahead, you know, what are some of the key touch points in the region when it comes to business, finance, economics, any countries or markets or sectors that you'll be looking at in particular? I mean, given the fact that we're almost a decade after the you know, global financial crisis, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how the Aramco IPO is, is received when, it, when that happens. A couple of years ago, we had uh, the Chinese equity markets. They obviously made investors nervous. That affected investor appetite. Um, that basically dissuaded many from going back to the market, putting their IPOs uh, on the back burner. So uh, it will be interesting to see what level of momentum uh, the Aramco IPO is going to bring to the to the table. I mean. You know, the United States, this, uh, you know, these, these past two weeks uh, and, and moving forward uh, is going to have a frenzy of IPOs, which it hasn't seen uh, since two years ago. And it's going to be interesting to see whether we are going to see a similar rebound in this part of the world. So I would be looking at IPOs, look at an investor appetite. Obviously, startups are going to be on, on the radar. You know, Kareem... Uh, success is definitely a game changer for uh, aspiring uh, entrepreneurs. The acquisition of Souk, as well, is a is a big you know uh, boost in, uh, in terms of morale and uh, an encouragement to the technology sector and and uh, to those who want to emulate um, that success. So I think th- these these are the things that I'd I'd, I'd probably be uh, looking at. Masoud Darhali, the National's Business Editor, thanks for being with us, and uh, we hope you'll be with a regular guest on this podcast in, in the future. Thank you. I hope so, too. Also with me is our banking and finance correspondent, the National, Mahmoud Qasim. Today, he's written a piece on the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority. Uh, they rarely speak, uh, so the annual report is closely watched, and we always wait to see what they're going to say about the outlook uh, in terms of where they might be investing and also how their long terms, so they give us sort of 30-year returns, uh, how they've been. Now, I understand, uh, Mahmoud, there's been a bit of a dip uh, in 2016 versus 2015 when it comes to the long-term returns. What's Adia been saying? First of all, it was a very small dip. I mean, when you look at the uh, compare, when you compare the twenty-year and thirty-year returns in two thousand sixteen and two thousand and fifteen, there wasn't a massive difference. Last year, the twenty-year annualized rate of return was six point one percent versus six point five percent in two thousand and fifteen, and uh, the thirty-year annualized rate last year was six point nine percent versus seven point five percent for the same period last year. So it wasn't a massive difference. And you have to remember, these are over long stretches of time. So that figure doesn't necessarily reflect what happened last year when, in fact, many markets were booming. In fact, Adia was keen to point out that the the drop was mainly due to the fact of of, of, uh, big gains that were made uh, in the 80s and 90s that weren't added to the rolling averages. So right. these figures can be a bit deceptive. So ni- because 1985, for example, is no longer included in the 30-year returns, right. that that m- and if that was a particularly bad year, right. then that will affect exactly. what the long-term return looks like. Exactly. It's a bit complex. It is. So it doesn't, it doesn't really give the, the best indication always of, 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 um, of the, their performance in the previous year that they're looking at. But I think what was more interesting 
is the fact that they highlighted emerging markets as a asset class that they think will 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 produce essentially outsized well, they've returns. Been, they've been out of favor emerging markets ever since the oil price crash, haven't they? They have. In fact, they've been out of favor for 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 uh, before that. Mahmoud Qasim, you, you've been covering Adia for some time. Um, last year, or the year before, actually, uh, you covered their 40th uh, anniversary, uh, which is very important. And if we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, before with uh, with your boss, uh, Masoud Darhali, we were talking about, um, you know, how the country has evolved and, and how much it's grown. The Abu Dhabi Investment Authority is a big part of that. I mean, they're talking about 20, 30-year returns. Um, they're talking about emerging markets. It's just, it's sort of testament to how, um, you know, this country is managing its wealth over a period of time. And you've had the advantage of talking to a lot of the executives there at Adia. They're very much long-term, calm, rational investors, aren't they? When they say emerging markets, then perhaps we should be thinking maybe emerging markets are coming back. True, but like you said, these guys aren't day traders, right? They're not buying and selling stocks on, on on a daily basis. So they're basically looking at the long term and what they see is that they see that growth in, in, in developed markets is being hampered by aging populations, uh, low um, low population growth, uh, and, and, and stagnant economic growth, quite frankly. Whereas in emerging markets, you have a fast-growing populations, many of which are entering the middle classes, you know, produ- uh, consuming goods and services at a, at a, at a faster rate than, than, than people in, in developed markets. You cover the wider banking scene. And, and I wonder if when Adia says they're looking at emerging markets, it's also uh, when other institutions in the UAE and the wider region also say, you know, maybe that's where we should be looking to. I mean, to what extent do people follow what Adia is doing in, when it comes to the banks and other, other investors across the UAE? Well, it's not, of course, just across the UAE. I mean, everybody who's anybody in the world of investment looks at looks at Adia because they're they're one of the single largest uh, investors uh, on earth, right? In 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 public uh, markets. So uh, anything they say, of course, is is uh, is, is is closely followed. Um, the extent of which to which other other entities follow them, of course, it's difficult to tell because. You know they don't give Adia don't give too much information about the things they they invest in. I mean, for instance, they tell us broadly speaking that they will invest a minimum of fifteen percent um, of their money in emerging markets and a maximum of twenty five percent. Whereas in North America, they tell us they will invest a minimum of thirty five percent to a maximum of fifty percent. So it's it's difficult to tell with the the um, the uh, their, their their guidelines of, on investment. You know how much, in fact, they are invested in emerging markets at the moment. But I think the fact that they're telling us this in their annual report and the fact that uh, the, 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 the fund's managing director has been quite vocal about uh, Adia's interest in countries like China and India is a pretty good sign that um, you know this is where the smart money is at the moment. Mahmoud Qasim, Banking and Finance Correspondent for The National, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Staying with investments, but moving into the realm of the retail and consumer investor, uh, there was a surprising admission this week from one of the biggest insurers. Friends Provident International says that the industry should do better for customers, that the current expensive fixed-term investment and saving products that they are giving them does not meet their requirements. Uh, Alice Hain, the personal finance editor for The National, has been covering this story for a long time, years in fact. And this must be a watershed moment. Is it a victory, Alice? It it certainly felt like a moment, as you say, because for a long time I've been receiving letters from readers who are desperately unhappy about these fixed-term investment products that they're 
that they've you know got themselves into that they've signed up for and uh, you know the tales of woe were very similar it, it touches on the same topics again and again and again and it seemed for a long time that there was little that could be done to kind of resolve the issue for these people that have written to us and and a few things you know have come up in the last few months that I'm sure we're going to talk about in the next few minutes um, that have started to change that landscape for investors but Friends Provenant International kind of coming out and saying actually you know we're, we're not doing a good enough job here and, and we could produce better products is is a big milestone moment. I mean, taking a step back, uh, these products have been sold for decades. Uh, yeah. But uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they stopped selling them in the UK and other developed markets. But they continue to sell them in the UAE, the Middle East and parts of Asia. And that's those are markets that Friends Provenant International are quite big in. But there are other insurers as well, some of the biggest names in the world that also provide these products. And what's happened is, is that um, it, people who perhaps went home or went to another country after a few years would, wouldn't really know what happened to them in terms of these products. But people are staying here longer. And as and, and, and a result, we know more of, of the experiences that people have had because of the high costs, because of the poor performance of these plans that they've got themselves into. Is that pretty much summing up why we've, we've been covering this more recently? Yes, because as you say before, uh, somebody would uh, sign up for a plan. Let's say they, they were sold by a financial advisor because these products are produced by the life insurance companies and then distributed to the customer through financial advisory companies, of which there are a number in the UAE. <coughs> and um, they would be sold to the customer and the customer would sign up for a, a certain tenure. So let's say 10 years, uh, 15 years, the maximum is 25 years. And uh, they would um, be locked into that product for the full tenure of the of the products. If they, they've signed up for a 25-year fixed-term product, they have to pay into that for 25 years. And that's where the problem started, as you say, because they've, they've signed up for 25 years. And rather than relocating to Singapore or to Hong Kong or to somewhere else, they are staying in the UAE because the job prospects are good and there's career growth and people get settled and they have kids and they go to school here and suddenly they've got a lovely little life and they don't want to move on. And uh, <coughs> and then they're looking at their long-term investment plan and uh, thinking about their retirement and they're 10 years in, sometimes five years in, sometimes less. And they're thinking, this isn't adding up. Why, why am I n not getting a return on what I've put in? Why is it that I've put in $10,000 and yet the products are still only worth eight it's the question marks are being raised and so they're then going back to the providers and saying well why isn't this uh giving me the return that i want and then they're not getting the answers that they want and the fact is the costs are very high and previously we had an environment in which returns were higher uh you know before the financial crisis obviously but more recently with you know all this uh, money being pumped into the global economy by central banks returns have been very very low inflation's been very very low so to get 2% 3% now on your money is the norm while 10 years ago you could probably find 8 9 10% returns which somewhat mitigated the costs on average around 4 4.5% so this is another factor is the global investment environment has changed and we didn't have before the option to go into these ED ETFs and index trackers and the internet, which has sort of come into play now for retail investors. Uh, that's a new thing as well. 10, 15 years ago, you didn't have that option. Yeah, there's a lot of new players in the market that probably didn't exist before. So you could, you know, you could contact Saxo Bank or um, 
there's Swiss Quote and there's a number of other players who you can uh, just open an online account and through them buy low-cost exchange-traded funds and index funds. And the fee that you pay on those funds is, is minimal sometimes. It, you know, it can be extremely low. And when you're comparing that to 45 to 5%, there's kind of, it's a bit of a no-brainer. Uh, and yet these products are still being sold as this is, you know, this is, you've got to save your money. And, and the same uh, message is always touted at, that, you know, as expats, we're not saving enough for a retirement. We're not thinking long term. We're not thinking about how we're going to pay for that lovely house in our home country when we once return. And so there's that kind of fear culture that the advisors sell these products on. And yet they're actually not selling a, a, a sort of investment scheme that's that's going to give the kind of return that the people need anyway. I mean, it, let's get, if we give everyone the benefit of the doubt in this situation, um, you know, I think the advisors will say that they, they really believe they're helping. And the insurance companies say they, they, that they did believe that they were providing a product that was good. But now we have Friends Provident International saying that actually it's not that good or it's not that good anymore and, and things have changed and investors want more. Are we seeing the, a crack in the, in the dam of denial that, that we've, we've had up till now where the response from a lot of people in the industry to us over the last six months, the national, has been, oh, no, no, it's, 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 it's a, people just have been sold it badly. Yes, the blame was put on the on the brokers, on the financial advisors. They they were the ones all all the time that were at fault. They they sold it to you wrong. They've put you into the wrong funds. It's all their fault. The plans work. The plans are good, and now this you know editorial that Friends Provident International uh, gave to us exclusively, kind of admits that no the products aren't that good the plans aren't that good and they don't necessarily work for the customer of today and so uh, you know they came up with a number of proposals which is uh, shorter 10 years and uh, products that are aligned uh, to different nationalities and less fun choice uh, and, and they're they're pitching that as the new way to potentially invest and they're trying to develop pro um, products that will kind of work around that. I mean, the question is, what about the fees? Will they be lower? Will they be, com you know, comparable with the, well, the kind seem, of low cost options? It seems they're trying to get ahead of the regulator because the insurance authority is going to supply a, a brand new set of tough rules that, that address those issues of fees and upfront commissions and all the things that go into making these products so expensive. So can, can they and the rest of the industry get ahead of this? Um, I think I think they can. I mean, French Provident is obviously trying to do that because um, the, the insurance authority kind of came into the into the picture last November when they issued a draft circular saying that they were going to uh, transform the way that these savings and investment products were regulated, and that was a bit of a shock. That was that was the first kind of big moment in this story, and then they 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 gave the insurers six months to come back with any uh, proposals, and they came back out with a second circular in April with a new uh, set of uh, regulations, and they seem to be very set that it's going to go ahead. Now, I've, I've spoken to experts, and they're say, telling me that it's probably going to get implemented in the third quarter of this year. So it makes sense for uh, a life company like Friends Provident to say, well, actually, we're, we're changing now. We're, we're going to try and move ahead of this and uh, and get some new products out. And And the thing is that at the end of the day, the customer awareness is there now. You know, we're writing about this. Other people are writing about this. I go to any dinner party or party I go to, I make sure I tell everyone, what are you investing in? Uh, is this a good product? Have you actually looked at the fees? Have you thought about it? And people are talking now. I think in the old days, 
people didn't discuss their investments. It was something to be, you know, if it wasn't working, you didn't share that because you were probably a little bit ashamed about it. Now people are wanting, you know, they want a good return. They want to know they're getting value for their money and uh, they're talking about it. So yes, Friends Provident is trying to get ahead of the curve. I think other companies will follow suit. Whether or not it's enough, I don't know. I, th- I think the industry is going to change a lot over the next couple of years. Alice Hain, personal finance editor for The National. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Business Extra podcast from the National's newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I hope you follow us every week. And of course, you can read these stories we've discussed and plenty of others online and in print.